Today I sit down with Threat. Now most of you will know him for his days coaching NIP, which was the beginning of 2016 to the end of 2017. However, since then he's been very quiet. He decided to leave that life behind and has moved on to, well, using his degree and getting a job outside of esports with which he seems quite content at the moment. But of course, having played professionally 1.6 between 2005 and 2012, on top of all the years in CSGO, it's pretty difficult for him to keep his eye off the scene. So I quiz him about current affairs, about Swedish Counter-Strike, about coaching and the challenges therein, what he thinks about some of the recent roster changes and MIBR and Cloud9 and you know what he thinks could be really awesome for the game moving forwards and much more. Okay, <laughs> hello Bjorn. <laughs> hello, can you hear me? I can, yeah, everything's good. So this is really cool. Uh, thanks for joining me for a podcast. Obviously this is funny because um, we haven't really even caught up in a while and I know you sort of, uh, you, you left CS and obviously CS was a really big part of your life for a very long time. Um, I guess that's a good place to start off with, you know, what, what was the, what were the major decisions going in, you know, going through your, your minds that you had to make when making that choice to, to leave? Uh, well, it kind of began in June last year, 2017, when I, uh, finished my master's, I got my degree. And uh, I knew I still had to do uh, at least a year out with NIP, but I felt that I really wanted to pursue my computer science career. Um, anyway, we uh, during the like November or October, November, December of last year, there were just so many tournaments, and I was so exhausted when we got back from uh, IEM Oakland. And right after that, we still had I think it was Blast, and after that, we had Pro League and. Uh, I kind of made the decision uh, during Blast in my mind that I would tell them at Pro League that I wanted to quit the team and uh, yeah, pursue my other career because I don't, just don't enjoy that lifestyle anymore. It was too much work at, at that point. Could it have been different in some way? You know, let's say let's say you had a bigger coaching staff to take off some of the, the you know the various burdens you had as a coach. Because it correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems as though you sort of had the burden of doing everything. You know, managing the players to to a large extent, um, maybe socially and emotionally as well <laughs> as, uh, as as well as also being the analyst. And obviously, at the beginning, you know, I, I think again correct me if i'm wrong but it seemed like one of the motivations for you was to be able to call and obviously then the coaching rule came in very quickly yeah it, it's kind of weird how my role in nip changed because when i joined the team in uh, 2016 as you said i was the in-game leader and i was allowed to talk uh like all throughout the match and uh, then when the ruling uh, the the coaching rule came. Uh, I always had to take a step back. And as everyone knows, it's kind of weird how coaching in, in CS works. There's no like clear role what you're supposed to do. Different teams have like give their coach different responsibilities. Some of the coaches, they have more of a social role in the team, uh, like the old coach for SK, or some have a more like strategic role as I did. Um, and I think I kind of struggled with that, and that partly that's part of my fault as well. But I never, after they made the rule change, I never felt like I really knew what my responsibilities were, if that makes sense. 
were you just did you just focus on being an analyst or did you did, were you focusing on trying to correct uh, you know indiv- the individuals and how they were playing the game and fitting them together like what was the, what were the biggest struggles I, I was i think it was trying to find a balance because i first i want to make i want to make new strats i want to change our current strats change our default on different maps and that te- that takes a lot of time and i also want to prepare for the actual tournaments which means watching a lot of de- demos and watching, doing a lot of an analysis of other teams. And on top of that, you also have to do the actual practice, right? So you have to be on TeamSpeak and uh, uh, and I have to be in-game watching them play. And I think I struggled a lot with, like, during the games. Sometimes I actually, like, wanted to be focused on writing down, down stuff that happened and talk with them afterwards. But sometimes they wanted to get direct feedback during the games. And it was, like, really hard to find a good balance with that. And I think a better solution is some teams have now where they have one analyst who does all that other job for you because it's it's not really that difficult to just watch demos if you kind of know what you're looking for, right? But it's harder to like watch practice and know what kind of feedback you have to give the players because then you have to know them as like like the people they are. And it's and giving feedback is always really difficult. Could you see yourself maybe like obviously you know now you've you've gone a separate path for the for the moment but could you see yourself getting back into things now you know with with things being as they are you know as you say you have it being quite common for the top eight teams to have a sports psychologist to have a an overall team manager to have an analyst and and not only that um some teams will have multiple analysts or, or people to consult with and on top of that uh for example i recently had a call with uh the 16-0 guys i'm not sure how aware you are of who they are and what they're doing but they are this this analytics platform that has the most incredible analytics that can filter for the most ridiculously detailed aspects and the whole point is to cut down a huge amount of time uh for for teams or any analysts looking at demos to find trends and tendencies and leaks and it's it's kind of crazy so you have all the tools now and and of course you know the error we're describing for you you know you didn't really have a lot of these tools so would that be a game changer for you or, or do you think that it it just, you know, it, it really ran its course and it made sense to just move on completely. Uh, I just need to point out first that at, at the end of NIP, we have a mental coach. So I didn't have that responsibility at the end. But you have, you have a really good point with the, uh, like, different tools you can have. We used a tool at the end of NIP. I don't remember. I, I think it's the tool that, uh, I don't remember the name. I know some of the tournaments use it um, between maps to show, like, different stats and stuff. Uh but we use that, or I use that to, instead of watching demos, because it saved me so much time. But still, it would have been so much nicer to just have like a ded- undedicated analyst, right? If you if you could have gone back, um, is there any sort of point of your time with NIP where you would have done something differently, or do you think that it would all be the same if you went back? Yeah, I think I would have taken a different approach after they made the 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 coach rule change and I, I think I should have told NIP earlier that I needed more help uh, that it took like too much time to do everything which meant I didn't do everything uh, or I couldn't do anything 100% I could only give like felt like I gave 50% to like analysis feedback and making new strats which was really annoying because I, I really wanted to be able to give 100% on each of those uh, so I think I should have told NIP earlier that I needed more support. 
but I, I but would you have do you think come to the same conclusion eventually and that from from what I understand you know, the the travel the sort of quality of life issues you know that that became too much yeah definitely I mean uh, like right now when I'm working full time I have uh, the standard nine to five p.m. life I'm able to work out I'm able to get seven to eight hours of sleep every night I just feel so much better but at the same time I I'm not gonna say that I'm never coming back I mean if I would get an offer that I cannot refuse I, I don't know if I would take it but I I might I don't know because uh, as you said earlier they, there's been a lot of changes since I stopped and almost all the top teams now have multiple coaches and maybe I could even be an analyst for a team instead of a an actual coach that's actually a very good point. <laughs> I think that uh, <laughs> I I do think that there's definitely I think there will always be room for you. I think I think it's kind of hard to replicate the amount of experience that, that you have and sort of the the game brain that you have developed over the years. What is your overall interpretation of of NIP now and and Swedish Counter Strike? I think Swedish Counter Strike in general has a lack of like proper leadership, uh, especially when it comes to like actual in-game leadership. It hasn't been until like the last six months when we've seen uh, both Golden and uh, Hampus. If you know that player, he's playing in Red Reserve now, I yep. think. The old Golden lineup. Obviously, since there's no dedicated IGLs in Fnatic or NIP currently, I think you have to look to newer talents. And I think it's a really good thing that we see both Golden and Hampus playing in decent teams now, at least. And I also think one of the other, like the other major issues with Swedish Counter-Strike right now is that they they tend to look for short-term solutions. Like if something goes wrong, they want to change change things immediately. And they want to just make a change and they think that the results will come immediately or after a single event, right? So like if it doesn't come after a single event, they will just change something again and there will be no stability. Do you think this is like an issue of culture or something like that? Because obviously, you know, for those of you know for the listeners and for those of us who have been around for you know the the couple decades that esports has been going now well it's a couple decades since counter-strike came out wow <laughs> almost um it's it was sweden that was always like the powerhouse of of fps games and especially counter-strike and i feel like right now you know it's it doesn't seem it does seem like um sweden is lagging behind a lot i mean if you look at some of the models of the teams that of the teams who are very very good you know you have we have these international lineups and we have like what effectively kind of looks like uh like you know a fanatic or an nip when they're at their respective primes which you know in phase but phases into an international lineup um where they've combined as many skilled players as they possibly could and that used to be the thing that sweden would be able to have the most skilled players and leverage uh the skill and you know you wouldn't necessarily see a super deep uh, strategic and tactical game in that sense and it would be more about the individual ability and is is this do you think that's an accurate description and do you think this just that time has sort of passed now and you have to look uh, much further beyond that to have success yeah i completely agree and uh, the swedish counter-strike culture has always been a bit loose usually when teams try to make the change into a more slow tactical style uh, some are successful in the beginning but they tend to blame the tactical style if they start losing or when they meet some opposition uh, instead of trying to improve their actual, <laughs> like the actual tactics. If you looked on, uh, Astralis is a perfect example of this, right? 
where they they've had some struggles, but they just kept playing the same style, and now they've maybe not perfected it, but they've reached a point where they're very superior to other teams tactically, and you can clearly show that it's making a lot of difference. It's it is actually very interesting as well. This is um, something we brought up on the the podcast just recently with Yanko. I, I asked him this question. I'll ask it to you as well. Um, one of the the reasons I think for the success of Astralis is that they are one of the first teams that actually put their foot down and said we're not going to go to all of the events. We're actually going to prioritize our approach to the game so that we can have, you know, a better general quality of life for the players. The players can have more rest. And obviously there's some great side effects here because, you know, they they take the game very, very professionally as well. And they can genuinely push the envelope and have time to be inspired and actually try new things and perfect it, as you mentioned. So that's just an approach though. Like that, there is nothing really stopping a lot of other top teams from replicating this. Obviously there's, there are reasons why it is this way. You know, for example, if the players and the, the team coach don't have any say, then perhaps you know the the guys who are only looking at the numbers who own the team are going to be like, yeah, you have to go to every event because we want to get the best numbers for our sponsors and so on and so forth. But obviously, from a results perspective, that is not the optimal approach. So if if uh, so, the question is, if every team at the top eight were to have this sort of not perfect but very like very improved approach does the gap to astralis close massively or not or is astralis somehow very special i think other team has to kind of adopt that style as well i mean the only way you're be able to go to every tournament and still be able to compete with astralis or teams like astralis is that you just have the most ridiculous individual lineup and clearly some of the teams right now have the individual skill on face for example is ridiculous right and even sk or sorry mibr and I, I, maybe it's not only like a Swedish problem, the thing I talked about earlier with having this more loose approach to the game, because you can see in a lot of interviews, right? even with the top players, they talk about, okay, either you have this tactical style or you play loose. And it's like very binary. There, there's nothing in between. And like being a coach, and I, I'm known for being a more tactical, slow in-game leader. I, I, I know that I myself have, I've put some players in bad spots where I've maybe push them too far in being like thinking too much about how they play but at the same time uh, that's kind of what you have to do during practice you have to put yourself in a position where you're not comfortable even if you would have done the things you're comfortable with <laughs> and won you have to practice what you're bad at and it's, it's a different thing during an official games obviously i have to be comfortable all the time I, maybe i lost my point here i don't know can you still f follow what i'm saying Keep going, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? Uh... So, so I, so I can um, bring us back a bit. So the the, yeah, the end the end question really is that obviously there is a terrible like most teams are have a horrible approach. Astralis definitely have a very good one from what we can see. Are Astralis the players individuals particularly special, or if every team had the same approach as them, would we see the gap close on in skill? I think the gap would close. I think it's their approach to practice. That's the key here. And I, it, it's very key, especially like practicing things you're bad at. And this sounds like stupidly simple, right? It's so obvious, but I still think a lot of team that they don't do that. And as soon as they struggle with doing something they're not comfortable with, they will just say, okay, we're just going to play more loose. And that's going to solve everything. And or this player has to do his thing, or we, we have to allow him to do 
this. And I think MIBR is a good example of this, right? With Tarek and Stewie joining their lineup. And I've seen some comments or people saying that, okay, you, they have to let Stu and Tarek lose. They have to be able to do whatever they want. And it's, it's not really that simple, right? You can't let all five players do whatever they want. And if you look at their lineup, they have like Colsera for Tarek and Stewie. And like all of the, all four of those players, you want to give them the freedom because they're so individual skilled, but you, you really can't, right? Because you can't have four players doing whatever they want. It just doesn't make any sense. So some of them have to, I don't want to say make a sacrifice because the end goal should always be like trying to win the game, not being having a good individual performance. But I, in like a good individual performance sense, I, they kind of have to make a sacrifice. So why is it, do you think then, that it is sort of so binary in the minds of players, sort of tactical versus loose? Is it, is it something to do with just the fact that loose is it, it, you kind of have some comfort in the ambiguity of it and it's like a tactical style like it's much more complex to to nail it down so it's a bit scary when you try it and it doesn't work so it's easier just to be like oh well I mean, we'll just play a simpler game where we just we can rely more sort of emotionally on or instinctively on or, or intuitively on just our general counter-strike skill as opposed to really trying something as a team as Astralis does is is it just too scary or like wh why do you think that is the general vibe I think a lot of teams struggle with losing practice games and they they will lose a lot of confidence in doing that instead of being like very pragmatic about it um, and I think you made a really good point there that you did they just want to get the good results immediately and if they don't they want something to blame that's easy to change and obviously that's that could be the tactical approach and then you change it to a more loser style and let's say you win one or two maps in a row and it's like oh yeah let's do this this is the loser style we're supposed to play and it's i, I think that's mindset is uh, what a lot of player has these days it that is a very fascinating way to look at it because it is almost as though again like the tactical style because you, you know you are trying to achieve something and you know you're going to have specific roles specific lineups specific timings for certain players um and if if they feel as though the general game plan in that sense is not really working or things are not coming together it's much harder for them to see the big the kind of the macro picture of why their their role is is there in that way as opposed to you know and, and opposed to that they just look at it from the micro perspective where it's like i feel like i'm boxed in all i can the only impact i can have on the map is this and nothing's going well and i feel like i'm just along for this really shitty ride <laughs> where we're losing it's uh and, and i suppose that does come back to having not only the proper approach but also the proper a system to go with it you know you have time to rest you have professional and structured approach to your practice um, as well as having the team of people behind you trying to really give you faith in the system as opposed to you know i think really what your, your case was where you know you were the every man and, and it must be so difficult in your in the position you're in to get everybody on the same page you must have had a lot of frustrations uh, getting people to believe in the system when you were coaching an ip right or is that yeah yeah definitely and that's on me actually i mean it's, it's the coach's responsibility to make the players change and it can be really difficult and uh, especially when like during practice you have a lot of struggles and just keep losing and I, I think a good example of this would be mirage let's say you have a bad t default on mirage right then you can't play that map you have 
you basically have to veto it if you're playing in a tournament. So if you're, let's say you have a tournament in two weeks and you, you know that your T default on Mirage sucks. So it's like, okay, we have to fix it. So during the practice, it doesn't make sense to even a single round make a call where you do your, I don't know, B or A set execute or A split, which you have a like, 60% win rate of. Because you know it works or everyone knows the roles. It doesn't make any sense. What you have to do is just keep grinding the default. And you make some changes. And you're prob- this change is probably not going to work, right? And you have to try it. Okay, okay, that didn't work. You could even use the ecos or pause during the practice and say, okay, can we make some adjustment adjustments like right now and try that? Because you kind of have to find a way to make it work. And to do that, you have to just keep losing to find the way that works for you. Or maybe it works in the current meta because T default on Mirage is a perfect example of something that can change in weeks. How are you supposed to do it with the nades in middle? So is, is this uh, to an extent as well? Because obviously this is about getting everybody on the same page and having everyone also be sort of paying attention in all these situations and, and doing the work. Because again, from each of the players' perspectives, they're operating from this micro um, picture in a sense, especially if you're looking at the guy that's not the in-game leader, they're thinking, okay, what is my role? What is my position? They do their job and the outcome might suck a lot of the time. And they just kind of have to be the pawns in that sense and, and run it over and over again. Whereas for you, you, you know, you're managing the macro perspective. You know, how is the team working together as a unit? Is this something that actually works? Do I have to change this one guy's role? And so from that perspective, I imagine it must really come into the picture of how coachable certain players are because again everyone has to have the same vision so they can have the trust that what they're doing is actually makes sense and obviously you have to have the right review processes bring everyone uh, together afterwards so everyone knows you know why they're doing certain things but d- did you notice a big difference between I, I don't know if this is a word coachability <laughs> you know um between yeah. the old and the young because in nip when you were when you were there you know you had you had the core of, of course you know get right forest and exist really old school players and then you know the likes of like draken and res that was the most consistent lineup during your tenure i think was there a big difference in how coachable the young were versus the old were there any particular issues with with uh, uh particular players on getting on board with with you or did you find a lot of resistance or was it somewhat seamless if i put it like this there there was some difference in coachability but it didn't necessarily have to do with age there was no pattern in like being younger or older made you more coachable at least in my i only have been coaching one team but in my case at least uh, and i also want to point out that not, like not being coachable is not the same as disagreeing because having discussions and disagreeing about certain things, that's part of the progress, right? The important thing is to be able to agree as a team. And even though you disagree with the majority of the team, you have to be able to practice what the majority wants to practice, even though you disagree with it. Is that a is that a, a difficult line to walk, though, as the coach? Because I think, you know, in some systems, for example, um, the coach is where the buck stops. You know, there can be a discussion until a certain point where the coach is like, I am the coach and this is how I want to run the team. And, and I, guess, I guess this goes to, as you mentioned previously, the ambiguity that's inherent in your responsibilities and where the lines are in co- coaching and Counter-Strike. No one really has a formula. It's different for every single team. So like, how did you, how did you manage disagreements? Did you have a lot of spots where you had to make big compromises or did you and, and bite your tongue? um and basically not get the result that you wanted um like because there has to be spots where you were the minority on a decision 
and you genuinely felt as the coach that this was the best route for the team and, and people disagreed like how do you handle those situations i don't know if we really had like some major disagreement there were some small things what we're supposed to do in practice uh the example i brought up earlier like practicing a single default maybe not like all 15 rounds but almost uh, some players disagree with disagree with that and uh, it was quite difficult i mean before the game we had you could have a talk and you see that, okay the majority agrees we're supposed to do this so we go into practice and we do this and maybe you start losing right so when you start losing there's good spot for the people that disagree to come in and it's like oh we should have done what i said <laughs> um, <laughs> and that could t cause a lot of tension um so it's it, it is really tough because that's also the coach's responsibility to find a good balance and be able to convince the players that, that disagree that they're supposed to buy into the system. Yeah, you have to be able to sell your system, uh, which can be difficult when some players want like immediate results. From that perspective too, you know, there's um, obviously, again, you know, when you're the player, there's such an emotional connection to the outcome, especially in Counter-Strike. Um, you know, really in any, anything in life, you know, we generally by default have an emotional connection to the outcome and that outcome is either success or failure uh, in whatever instance it is. And obviously failure sucks. Did you, did you ever have this situation where you had to coach out of some players this outcome oriented mindset so that they could have more faith going with what you're saying? Because I, and the reason I ask that is because I feel like you can have these horrible traps sometimes with players where because they're, they're being outcome oriented and they, they, they need to win the practice games and they need to have you know good emotions when they're playing so that they can have fun. They aren't going to be objective in the best course of action to get the team the results at the tournaments. So did you, ha did you have to work on mindsets? Did you have lots of discussions around that? Uh, we did have some discussions and I think the mental coach uh, Jens we brought in... Uh, almost a year ago now uh he made some really good changes and he was able to really make the players understand how like they had to change their mindset during practice is there anything that you can share uh let's see if i can remember something in particular well not really something like specific usually discussions they were more like at a macro level level especially when they were with the mental coach uh, and it, usually he talked with them individually so i couldn't actually what he was saying to them aha i see i see <laughs> Well, that would certainly make it hard to rem remember then. <laughs> um, what is, uh, I mean, because I have to ask you about Swedish CS having you on. Uh, what is your impression of NIP right now and their potential right now and, and, and how things are going? I think individually they have a extremely strong lineup right now, probably better than the one we had when I left. It's just, once again, I don't know how good of an in-game leader Lecro will be. And I think that will be like the deciding factor whether they will be able to su uh, be successful or not. And I, I have no clue if it's if he's a good in-game leader. He, he probably doesn't know himself. Like, he's, oh, is it one tournament he's been the in-game leader, if I'm correct? Let's see here. Not 100%, but it's definitely not very many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's a gamble, definitely. I mean, they have the individual skill, but they're lacking a proper in-game leader and they're lacking a dedicated opera which could be a struggle. That's, that was actually the best thing when we brought Draken on. I don't like using the word roles, but at, like, at least we had, okay, this guy will do the opping role because the opping role is the only role in CS, CS which is kind of clear cut. Yeah, um, that makes sense. 
Yeah. And speaking of which, obviously, you know, he went to Fnatic. I think I think Draken um, is a player that definitely uh, people were very hot and cold about. I think with NIP, it did seem like there was some stagnation, but now he's moved on to Fnatic. It seems so far at the very least, at least the E-League, he performed very well with them. Do you think it's just a better fit team-wise for Draken, or what's your interpretation of him as a player at the moment? Well, it's quite obvious that he's a player that likes to play a bit more loose, and um, I think Fnatic plays more loose than NIP, so I think a great fit uh, i think he's been getting uh, too much slack as well i mean he, he's a really good especially ct upper where you can be real aggressive for example playing ct overpass i think is he's very good at like improvising he, he will change up his positions he's very uh, he's really good at communicating okay i'm gonna push short this round i'm gonna go aggressive uh, a long for example the problem is when you have this uh, these aggress- aggressive young players playing the op they tend to really struggle as t because as T, usually your role is more to condition the opposing offer. So an overpass could be an, another, an example there where you maybe you just want to stand in T slope and you know which angle you're supposed to camp to be able to pick him off if he's going to peek from balloons. If you're aggressive, an aggressive offer, you maybe, maybe rather go for a pick, which is not impossible, but it's very difficult to do as T. Right, so it's, it's basically just about creating threat <laughs> yeah, yeah <exactly. laughs> um, and presence and, and and this is actually something that i think is fascinating because and this is another thing that you can actually do with that analytical tool i mentioned previously is um you can sort of measure the, ro- the rotations based on threat um in a sense um or, or based on you know different smokes and so on and so forth you know things sometimes you know things can look a little bit useless um because nothing's happening but obviously um, and that's then that's exactly you know that goes with your point about uh, the younger players thinking that it's a bit more about frags than it is again about that macro picture of how how you are helping your team create space on the map to to abuse. So that's that's a really interesting idea. Just imagine if you're the CT upper and you're going aggressive. Uh, uh, let's find a good map. Let's use overpass again, right? Let's say you're going aggressive um, A long and you want to take a peek towards, uh, what's the, what do you call that in English? The With a slide. <laughs> um, playground? Playground, thank you. You're going to go aggressive <laughs> to peek playground and the opera's waiting there and he just kills you immediately. And he's just sitting in an angle and it's a 5v4 like 15 seconds into the round. You're not going to go aggressive there anymore. It's going to condition you into playing more defensive. And maybe you will go aggressive underground next round and we're still waiting for you. It's more that style you want as a tier, as a team uh, upper rather than being the aggressor. The interesting thing there is then understanding tendencies from teams because when you're playing random pugs, it is a complete gamble. But when you're playing against professional teams, there's a lot of data out there and patterns which you can exploit. And so you can actually make those uh, statistics for yourself or the likelihood that you're actually going to uh, put your Europa in the, in the correct positions a, a bit more a bit more likely, perhaps, which is, I think, fascinating with the mind games. Yeah, definitely. One thing I didn't actually get your opinion on, but I mentioned it earlier. What is your interpretation of Golden leaving, his impact on Fnatic and him as in-game leader so far? Uh, I was just as surprised as everyone else. Uh, I guess it's true what the, rumor, the, the rumors that when Exist left NIP, that they, I think this was around Cat uh, Vita, right? When they, the rumors were that Golden was already kicked from Fnatic and Exist was supposed to take his place. But then they won Katavisa and they had just won <laughs> WESG. So they was like, oh, we're winning everything. 
we're going to keep the same lineup. And maybe that made it kind of awkward for Golden, knowing that he was supposed to leave the team. I don't know, because obviously they had a lot of success in the beginning of the year, more success than they've had since they had the actual Fnatic area uh, in 2015. Yeah, I'm just very surprised that they, they kicked him. I think all like the teams really need to gamble on someone new being in-game um, in leader. I guess this is just another massive test for Golden and a good opportunity for him to surprise, surprise us. Or how do you see Cloud9? Uh, I haven't really thought about Cloud9 that much because it, it feels like they just kind of scrambled to get a five-man lineup at this point. It's not really clear what kind of role Stiko has on the team. Uh, it's officially he's a stand-in, right? Yeah. So he's just a stand-in. So yeah, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I, I guess it's more about the mindset of the players because if the players know that they're probably not going to play with this lineup, that's not going to be a good thing because it, it kills the motivation to practice so much. It kind of helps during the tournaments because you're going to play with less pressure. But in this era with both Navi and Astralis and Liquid for for that matter, playing so strategically, it's going to be very difficult to do something when you have a lineup which you kind of know is not going to last. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty awkward. I mean, my, my personal read of it is just that after the major, um, we'll have to wait until then because I imagine the situation with rosters will be a bit easier for them to maybe pick up someone that's more ideal um, unless Stiko works out really well in the short term. But it's always difficult and awkward when someone's standing in and having to invest time. But I guess for Stiko, it's it's uh, the case that he gets to really prove himself um, as a player and, and, and prove his versatility and try to raise his stock because despite you know being a... For me, Stiko is, is kind of like a, a taco situation uh, with SK where everyone's, you know, the, the general public consensus seemed to be, not that the public consensus is necessarily ever correct, but the public consensus, of, of course, was that, oh, it's, you know, Taka, you know, you know, he's obviously, if, 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 you, if he leaves, then maybe you get Nico, Nico in there, <laughs> you know, whoever, you know, they've X really individually good player. Um, the, the team would be so good because, because Taka individually is not amazing, blah, 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 blah. And it, it seems like that was, like, Tistico was branded with the same brush in many respects. Um, do you think that it is very analogous to the Taco situation, or how do you look at the Stiko being pushed out and Snacks going into Mouse Sports? I think both trades were bad for both Mouse Sports and SK, but I think the SK one was worse. I think Taco had a more crucial role in SK than what Stiko had in Mouse Sports, even though I think uh, Mouse Sports with Stiko was better than with Snacks. And it comes back to the problem or the issue that we have that we spoke about like 20 minutes ago with uh, like teams wanting to play loose and just having more individual skill, which can make it more difficult. And I think if you watch a lot of the old SK demos, I think Taco, will, even though he didn't have like the best statistics, he still made a huge impact in the game. He was one of the better plays, uh, players at doing the uh, playing the conditional. CS style, as I talked about earlier, playing with the AWP. Uh, for example, a, a good example would be T overpass, where you want to, you're the guy that's going to throw the molo onto B short, you're going to spam the wooden panel, then you're going to listen and see if someone, go, someone goes aggressive sewers, and you just want to make the same pattern every single round. 
and not make as like it's just gonna you're just gonna condition the cities to make having force them to make hard decisions. That's your role and kind of ch- open up rounds in the future because let's say you do that you, you throw the Molotov to be short you spam the wooden barrels the first five defaults but you're actually doing an a default so then at round nine you're going to do an aggressive b short play and this was actually uh, this is a, something that they actually did i think it was i know it was fur and another player taco would do this exact exact same pattern he would throw them all in spam and you would just have fur and another player just go aggressive be short and go for picks and because the B players were so used to this pattern from Taco, they would like not suspect this fast aggression. I mean, this is something that a lot of teams do. This is not unique to uh, SK. This is a very default play, but it still shows that you kind of need a player that yeah, take these, I don't want to say bitch roles, because you're doing the same thing over and over again, but kind of like understands it's important, and he would just keep doing it. Because if you look at the MIB lineup now, like, who do you want to be? Who do you want to put in that position to be the guy that's going to do that same thing over and over again? You're not going to get many jewels. You might actually get picked sometimes because maybe the CTs are doing some monster aggression. They know exactly your pattern, so they would maybe throw a pop flash and push out monster and kill you. But you know, we just if you just keep doing this, you make might might make uh, some other be able to do a play later in the game. And I, like you don't want to put Stewie or Tarik in that position, do you? Um, do you think Yanko joining can make a difference? Do you think that coaching is not the issue? Or where, do, where do you see the solutions? If you're in the shoes of, or even if you're in the shoes of Yanko, like how do you solve NYBR? They sh- they have incredible, they have an incredible lineup. It, it's, it's a difficult question. I think you kind of have to make one of these players take a more like a step back and play the more like supportive role. For example, the position I talked about earlier. And it, it is really hard because who, who do you want to pick? I, I don't want to pick Fur because you know what Fur can do when you watch like during the SK era. So who do you pick then? I, like it's not going to be Fallen because it's going to play the op. It's not going to be Cold Sarah, obviously. So then you're left with Tarek and Stewie. So it's going to be one of those. And, and you don't want to have Tarek, right? Yeah, exactly. Then I would probably pick Tarek to play that role because you don't want. I mean, for me, Stewie when he's playing the lurker role, I've always got the feeling that it's more of a old-school, get-right, more happy kind of style. And that's not what you want to do on, on certain maps. Uh, on some maps, that can, can work, but overpasses, it feels like it feels like I've only been talking about overpass. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's that's an example where you don't want to be that kind of lurker, when so you're, can, especially when you're playing B. So can you, can you then expand on that and describe the different types of, of lurkers with any examples? Okay, so an example... An example would be if you were going to play the happy style on B, then you would probably would maybe you would like the first round you would sit outside the B monster overpass? tunnel. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's keep doing B overpass because that's the only thing I know. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you're going to play outside the monster tunnel. You're going to listen. Okay, it seems like you're playing two B. Uh, maybe later in the game you want to try to sneak out sewers, go into that uh, corner under the wooden panel if you know where, where I'm talking about. And uh, can I go like hide there and while your teammates are making plays on A and you can hear the rotations, you can, okay, they're rotating one guy back. Maybe I can make a play, push out towards short and get a backstab. Maybe I can go up to door after my teammate is taking long. I can get a backstab through door when the seat just thought it was clear. There's a lot of different ways you can play that where you can get kills. 
the only problem is that it's uh, at least I think that it's a way worse approach than just doing the more like when you just try to condition them with the Molotov every single spam the wooden panel stylish and I'm not recommending people to do this like literally 50 rounds but just like understanding how you're supposed to condition them on on a map like that I think uh, Sipex uh, is a perfect example uh, also a perfect example of someone that's really good at playing that particular position because he would do what I just said throw the Molotov spam the wooden panel and sometimes he would just sit outside of monster and just be completely quiet like three or four rounds uh, into the game, like doing nothing. Because let's imagine you're the analyst, right? And you're watching, okay, how does the B player play? Um, so we can do some, maybe we can do some monster aggression, right? So, okay, I'll, if they throw the Molotov, okay, he's going to be there and he's going to camp, he's going to be in the same position. Okay, if there's no Molotov, he might still be outside of monster because sometimes he just does that. So with the Molotov or no Molotov, there, that doesn't give you any information whatsoever if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah absolutely it just it just yeah. makes it very obscure yeah exactly it's it kind of like oh he, he he knows i'm watching <laughs> when you're watching the demo it's really frustrating yeah um and quick quickly what are your impressions then of, of snacks on on mouse sports uh, is well, it just super weird or yeah i think it's super weird they only played one tournament with snacks it didn't go very well. <laughs> it didn't go very well. No, I, I just think it's really weird. I, I think it's too soon to, but it's it kind of doesn't make any sense, right? I wanted to be optimistic, but when I watched it, I, I mean, I wanted to be optimistic just because you think you try to think about the positives, and you're like, okay, well, snacks he can op. Stiko can, you know, you wouldn't really say Stiko was a great oper. Snacks, you know, in the spots where because because there's lots of spots where snacks, you know, played B like you know Stiko was a. A B player generally, and 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 you and you think, okay, well, Snacks is he's going to be like better in those like one v ones where you get maybe maybe it's a lurker or maybe you know it's it's a Stewie on on Mirage or something, and he's trying to like bully bully your B player. You know, Snacks is going to be really good at those mind games, and that's what he's really you know good at playing on those smokes. He he might get that one extra kill, like you know, looking at the bright sides, but. In practice, so far, it just doesn't seem like there's cohesion at all. Um, obviously, it's only been a single tournament, but the question is, from an identity standpoint, whether it works, I guess. And so far, I'm not sure that that the true Snacks identity really has a place on the team. But they wanted they, when uh, they got Snacks on the team. I think it was Chris J who said that they wanted something extra in those clutch situations. And obviously, Snacks is a good clutcher. And that does make a lot of sense. I mean, you, like that again, like that B player, let's say, if, you know, staying with the Mirage example, he's often going to come into loads of spots where on the rotation, he's going to have a, a 1VX because, you know, the A players died quickly or whatever it is. And B is generally hit less than A. So I can see some of the logic there, but it just doesn't seem to work out in practice so far. And it's it's again this situation where, again, I, th I think I mentioned this on the previous podcast. There, like some players can adapt really well, but most can't. And do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I've seen some players change, uh, but it's usually over a very long period of time. Like I've seen some old school madfraggers transition into like IGLs and taking a more like defensive. Uh, uh, more support role, like I think Exist is a good example for those who doesn't uh, doesn't know he was 
uh, like the main carry for his teams back in 1.6 uh, in Fnatic, for example. Uh, and he, obviously that's completely changed now. So I think it's possible, but it's it's not that you can bring in snacks into the team and change his role and then expect it to work in like two months. Is it a situation where if they wanted to work, they just have to rebuild everything? Is, is, that, is that like the severity of the situation? <laughs> is that is that what you would do? Like, how, how would you how would you deal with this situation? Because I, I don't know. Either... Like, looking at the lineup right now, I mean, they <laughs> they have they have a lot of individual skill, and they still have four players from that like really strong lineup they had, uh, or when they had those really good performances. So, I mean, obviously, I think they can do some damage, but it's yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is there a team out there that you watch them play and you're like, if if I could just jump in? And coach them for like one tournament i could make them so much better or or a, or is there a team with like a glaring i mean that's that might be a very arrogant thing to think i don't know yeah, exactly. but, uh, <laughs> but um, i don't want to put words words in your mouth yeah, but uh i don't know if i want to answer that but uh, I, I was the coach for uh, north i, would... <laughs> I was thinking I about north as well i was actually thinking because obviously a criticism of north is that um that they play uh, with too much focus strategically and they don't have enough like uh, their play is not dynamic enough or loose enough in certain spots it's overly strategical overly tactical and but but obviously there's there's other teams as well which have a lot of skill and and you know there, there could be small tweaks um that that you can make is is there is there any situation like that any team you know top team that you think with some small tweaks could be performing a lot better I'm looking at the world ranking right now. I think North has been a, a, a common um, a common contender in that category. Yeah, I think they could be a lot better. I think they could be way better than they are right now. And uh, I, I think you're making a good point there. It sounds like I'm... Maybe, maybe it sounds like I'm saying that you're only supposed to play like slow strategic style all the time, but you can also overdo it. That's a really good point. I don't know if that's the case with the current North lineup. I remember just a few months ago, I think ASIM uh, had an interview. They were playing a lot more loose now. So maybe they've changed something. They did have that uh, one event. Was it DreamHack Valencia when they played with Mixfell? And they won, I think. As, as far as the game itself is concerned, though, like how, what's your, your opinion of where Counter-Strike is at the moment? Do you feel like there's an issue that you would that you would change like map pools? Do you think that the map pools should be changed more often or there's more new maps? Or do you yes. think that is... Change maps more often. That would be the best change they can make, I think. Wouldn't that be an issue though for, let's say, consistency on the top level? Uh, it might, but like variants could also add to the, uh, I don't know, what's it like flavor of the game or add to the viewership as well. Because it would make uh, create more drama. I mean, you don't want to make it random to change the like, map pool every week. Just add a few new maps and tell the teams early. Like if you tell the teams early, it will make it less random because then they will have time to prepare and they will have time to make all the mistakes during practice games rather than during the tournaments. But at the same time, you still give the more um, tactical teams the opportunity to be more creative and come up with new strats that they can save for the tournaments right i mean so, so obviously like one of the issues there is that like look where is the the balance because 
if you if you have too many maps coming in, then there's too much variance because it just becomes it becomes a battle of who can find the best pop flashes and who can find the best one way smokes. And then you have too many games won on gimmicks as opposed to like genuinely like very good Counter Strike. Um, but if you have like not enough, then it's obviously a bit stale and boring. So like where is the balance? I think maybe changing one to two maps per per season. And it, like, now, now they're changing by season. Do you mean like every every four months or something? Yeah, exactly. Maybe one map every four months. That could make sense. And they could also make updates to the maps. I think they made some good updates to Nuke, for example. And I, I really like that they uh, removed the skybox on some of the maps. Uh, I just saw a, a clip today from Astralis when they throw through a smash a flat or sorry Mirage top mid from C to spawn. Uh, which is really powerful and maybe that could make some changes in the meta. I don't like doesn't necessarily need to do that, but it's at least it's something new and interesting. And I haven't seen that on Mirage for seriously the last two years. <laughs> I suppose um I suppose it is really interesting because if if we're speculating and we are in this this like the ecosystem has changed in a way where teams have more time to practice between tournaments so 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 this i think this is like a big win for everybody right because there's there's this the situation i was describing uh, which we have right now is is a situation where there's immense viewer fatigue and it's difficult for people to innovate and there's not really all that much to innovate upon because we have the same maps just all the time so if you have this new world where there's less big tournaments there's less uh, there's maybe no online online leagues at all maybe so you know as you said we're not going to be seeing teams unless they're at the big tournaments all of a sudden, then it's going to be really interesting because these teams will also have time to practice. So every big tournament will be like very interesting to watch because you're always going to see something new. Now, and, and that's going to be amazing for, for like a storyline perspective. And I think for the, for like, yeah. So I think, I think it'd just be way more engaging, actually. That, that could be really awesome, to be honest. I mean, when was the last time you remember a, t a team doing something like so different that it's like, oh my god, this will change how teams play this map. It was a, I can't remember the last time it happened. It's yeah, I have no idea. Like, what was the like the last new, like new map? Was it in? That's the... two. Oh, oh no, a new, 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 yeah. new map. Okay. Uh... <laughs> is is it overpass? I feel like it can't be. I must be missing something. I mean, Cobblestone and Overpass came at the same time, right? It was uh, ESL Cologne 2014. But Cobble was... It was in yeah. such <laughs> it a bad, so bad shape. Do you remember Drop Zone? Where yeah. there were like three ways you could get into Drop <laughs> Like weird staircase. Like you jump down, and you could go like straight as well. It was so strange. Wow, but a couple things. I I feel like it doesn't even count because it wasn't like a new new map. It was already like there was you know it's based on a previous map. I mean, obviously it's very different, but still. So so does that mean it's just overpass really? That I guess made it into competitive. Well, obviously, if, I I guess like Jesus. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I guess. I mean, because it's a really interesting discussion to have, and I think that it's a really important one to have. I think it would be so much in more interesting with with uh, actual maps, uh, like actual, actual new maps to come in. But the counter oh, argument would be that for some of the viewers that they've 
they understand the old maps and it would be hard for them to know what's going on on the newer maps. I guess, I guess that's the only like real valid counter argument to changing the map pool more often. I hope we get there. Indeed. Um, as a as a sort of finishing uh, question or two, it's going back to like the general coaching thing. Um, who who are the coaches in Counter Strike that you either respect the most or think are the most impressive for whatever reason? I would say uh, Sonic uh, from our Astralis. And uh, when I left NIP, I actually made a list of. Uh, potential candidates to replace me. And I had actually put uh, Ave, the current coach of North, on top. Uh, I don't know, maybe he's uh, been struggling with the transition into CSGO, because obviously he doesn't have that much experience with it. But uh, in 1.6, he was, uh, I mean, he was, the, according to me, the best in-game leader ever in 1.6. So that's why I think if he would put in the time, he could make a really good uh, coach in CSGO. Well. So what what made him the best in-game leader in 1.6? I think he had a very... I don't know if you know about the old like MTW NOA Danish team back in the days where you had players like Sonic, Ave, HPX, or Wimp. Yeah, Wimp is actually the... He's working for North as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. And they, they were very... It was very similar to Astralis. They played a very slow and structured default style. They didn't have... A lot of crazy executes but they just played in a very, very annoying well uh, way and they always studied their opponents and i remember he, they were by far the, the team that i struggled the most with calling against like other teams even though we didn't beat them all the time i still felt kind of comfortable like i knew what they were going to do what we were supposed to do against them but it was always a struggle against mtw and uh you know you mentioned zonic and actually i asked a similar question to Yanko on the podcast recently and he said Zonic as well obviously you know obviously there might be viewers thinking like well duh you know Astralis is the best team but obviously I don't think I don't think that's necessarily your criteria for selecting Zonic um so so why why Zonic I think he's a he's a good overall like he he knows a lot about the like the tactical aspects of the game but he's also seems like a father figure to the players and they all respect him a lot. And I think like if you I can only compare to myself and my struggles, I think even though I think uh, I I have some good knowledge about how you're supposed to play the game, I still kind of struggle with like reaching the players and motivating them into following my system. And it seems like they have a better balance of that in Astralis and I guess Son- Sonic is one of the factors to why it works. Will we ever see you playing again? <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but it's 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 very unlikely. I I, I mean, my individual skill in CS:GO has never been that high. I mean, and I, I did play it. You made the playoffs of a major. So. The last time NIP came to the playoffs <laughs> of a major, all thanks to me. <laughs> no, but I mean, I was quite clear in both uh, Team Acer, uh, my short uh, player career in CSGO, and uh, when I played MLG Columbus. I mean, I'm not the worst player in the world, but I obviously I'm not on par with the top players right now. That, that's just silly. And I mean, if I would play again, I would have to put in like thousands of hours and 
still knowing that it's unlikely that I would be good individually enough to play in a top 20 team. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, some diminishing returns there. So um, in that sense, I think to, to just like make it explicit, you're like being an analyst or a coach is something that you would consider moving forwards. And obviously it seems like doing talent work here or there seems like something you're also inter interested in. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm, I'm quite flexible with my current job. So doing talent work is something that I definitely would do. Maybe not to, like, how many days did you say they traveled in 2000? <laughs> yeah, I think you can pick and choose a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just doing some events here and there. Watching cool. games. So I think... I think I think it's good to to just like get that out there because I think sometimes people just make assumptions, you know, and and, and you and you have sort of disappeared. So um, that's that's good to know that you're still interested in it, being involved. Uh, but but that's that's about it um, for now. I think we've, we've been going just over an hour. So thank you very much for your time. And I uh, I'm sure that, to be honest, like we just sort of improvised this one, and I feel like there is a huge amount of different sorts of topics we could talk about in the future so if you're interested in in coming on again in the future i'm definitely gonna gonna hit you up yeah definitely it was great cheers cheers